All right. Well, uh, we're going to just start in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. It's a verse I've quoted from time to time when it comes uh, uh, to a time when we receive the Lord's tithe and offerings. So let's just look at that verse. Uh, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, but that you through his poverty might be rich. The context here is of speaking of, of, of giving and prosperity and uh, God uh, sowing and reaping. Now, let me just say this. Whenever the topic of, of prosperity or giving is raised, it evokes strong emotions in people. I don't know over good. It just, even though, uh, you know, you've heard statistics that there's no topic addressed as frequently in the Bible as prosperity and giving. Jesus used money very often as an example of uh, in, in a parable or an illustration. And yet it is a topic that turns off a lot of people. I'd be fair to say uh, people uh, don't like and especially they don't want a preacher to talk about prosperity and giving. They don't mind a banker or some financial advisor or reading a book uh, by somebody who claims because many claim to have great expertise and don't have it. Uh, but uh, especially and, and I can understand why I'll be honest with you. I completely understand why that is so because very often when a preacher talks about finances it is viewed as self-serving and often at the very end you know he says if you give to my ministry God will bless you if you give to me God will bless you I understand why people feel a certain hesitance or reluctance particularly when a preacher uh, talks about money sometimes you know I've been in services where I felt the preacher spoke in a very manipulative way way, saying well the anointing is on me right now and if you give right now and it is like it might lift by next week you know so give now so people felt the great pressure and so, though people may respond at the moment, then later on when they think it over, uh, they don't feel so good about it, you know? And of course, we have all kinds of trends today. There are certain people who sort of teach the church, and they say that the believer's job is to keep the man of God, meaning their pastor, prosperous. People teach that, you know, using the story of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, you know. That's so, you know, you, the preacher puts himself in Solomon's shoes and puts the congregation in the Queen of Sheba's shoes. And they say, well, you know, you should just bring gifts to your preacher. And so I can understand. I, in other words, I understand why people feel reluctant. You know, today there's another very popular thing today where you come up with a scripture verse, preferably from Psalms, because there's a lot of chapters in Psalms, a lot of Psalms. And you find some promise of God, maybe in Psalm 115 and verse 37 or something and you preach that and then you say well if you give $115.37 you know then you'll release this verse into your life you know and of course uh, of course the only way that a preacher can get away with talking like that is if the congregation is generally ignorant of the new covenant then you can get away with that because uh, uh, people aren't really rooted in Jesus but I'm saying when when it comes to everybody say prosperity say giving Now, I understand the kind of emotions that it evokes in people. Uh, You know, then there's a flip side, which is a 
poverty spirit, if I say that, a false spirituality where people say, well, Lord, uh, you know, you keep the preacher humble, we'll keep him poor. And you're, you almost worship poverty and you think the, the poorer you are, the, the better it is. People take a vow of poverty. Well, of course, that goes against the grain of Jesus and the disciples. And we'll, we'll show that in a moment. Uh, the fact is this, that the Bible has a lot to say. It gives a lot of insight in how Jesus uh, financed his ministry for three and a half years. Gives us a lot of insight into how the Apostle Paul financed his ministry. And beyond that, there is probably no topic that comes across your life as frequent as money. Everybody here wants it. I heard like two grunts for that, but it's true. It's something you have to deal with. And so if the Bible deals with it, we should deal with it. And the verse I just read tells us that the basis, the foundation for our prosperity is what Jesus did at the cross. He was so very rich and yet for our sake, he became poor. That through his poverty, we might become rich. And the context here is money. Paul is raising an offering in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And so when it says that you might become rich, it's in the context. Now we could talk about spiritual riches, emotional riches, mental riches, but it's particularly in this context. You could say the primary application is speaking about financial matters. So, so it's not wrong to apply it to the other areas, but to the apostle Paul here is addressing money, real money. Turn to your neighbor and say real money. And so now what does that mean? Does that mean that God wants every Christian to be a millionaire or drive a luxury car, wear expensive clothes or what does that really mean? Well, you know, Jesus puts, puts in perspective and teaches us about the hierarchy of importance. And he, he shows us exactly where, what role money plays in our life. He shows us exactly, you know, what is the place of money in the new covenant. Talking about where we live today. Where, what Jesus says, speaking of money in Luke 16, 10. He who is faithful in what is uh, least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And so the context here again, without reading all those 14 verses where Jesus is talking about financial matters is what he's calling the least here is money. Everybody say money is the least. And so uh, that, that's the hierarchy of it. And so, uh, in other words, it's the first step. You know, in every area of life, whatever we do, we always start with the least. Whatever you're going to do in life, you start with the least. Uh, for example, in music, well, you start with the easy pieces. In business, you start, you start small in work. And, and so Jesus is saying, this is 101. And so you could say, for example, in my life, if I give this, as, use myself as an example, if I cannot play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, how I wonder where you are on the piano. It's a safe bet that I can't play Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. How many understand? If I, if I can't do Twinkle Twinkle, it'd be pretty safe for you to say, I'm going to bet Pastor Peter can't do the Ninth Symphony. If I try to do high jumping and I can't even clear a three foot bar, it's pretty safe that I won't clear six feet. Are you with me? If I'm trying to do, you know, running long jump, if I can't jump five feet, and there's this kind of a gap I have to jump from one rooftop to another and it's 15 feet. It's a pretty safe bet 
that I'm not going to make the 15 feet jump. Is that, is that, is that right? Because if I can't jump five feet, then 15 would just seem insurmountable. And so Jesus is saying now finances is the least. And he says, you know, if you can't handle the least, how can you handle the much? In other words, if I can't trust God, if God doesn't, if God's word, if what Jesus did on the cross, if the new covenant has no application in the financial area, then what area does it apply to? In other words, if I can't trust Jesus to help me with something very temporary, something that he provided for me, how can I trust that I'm going to go to heaven when I die? How can I trust that I'm going to go on the rapture? How can I trust other things that that are much greater? That's what Jesus is saying. Are, Are you with me so far? And so how can I work my covenant? Turn to your neighbor and says, you have a covenant. And then say it includes prosperity. Yeah. That's my first point. If you wonder what point I'm on, I'm on the first point. (laughs) Introduction is long gone. Uh, Prosperity is a benefit in our covenant. Jesus died that through his poverty, we might be rich. Now spiritually rich, emotionally rich, rich in friends. But the primary application here, when this verse is found, Paul is talking about money. He's talking about finances. And so if we can't trust God in that area, then, you know, where can we trust him? So, for example, people would say, because it's a known fact today, that people don't like when a preacher talks about money. You can say amen to that, right? It's okay. You know, so, for example, so many preachers then would say, why would you spend a Sunday morning service at the Celebration Church talking about money? Well, first of all, my sermons aren't driven by what the market wants. That's, that's number one. Secondly, according to Jesus, this topic should be preached and taught. People say, well, why don't you just have like a, a Bible study like on a Wednesday night and just call the real mature people together, the ones who are really grown in the Lord and, and really teach it to them. You see, see, that's the mindset that this topic should be reserved for people of really, they really know everything else in the Bible. But, you know, so you sort of put the, the final revelation on finances. But Jesus actually says the opposite. He said, if you can't trust God, if you can't handle the least, how can you handle the much? Are you still out there? Give me a little amen. And so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching. And, I, you know, you see, if, if a preacher is teaching on, on prayer, for example, then people think, well, that's good. If you're teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, uh, then that's good. But, you know, I have the same motivation right now. I'm not motivated different. People say, oh, well, what is this? He wants a lot of money today. You see, well, of course, we always want a lot of money. I want a lot of prayer. I want a lot of everything. So, well, you didn't receive the offering yet. Exactly. Because I am, I'm going to be very consistent. If I was teaching on healing today, I would probably choose to minister healing to the sick after I did the teaching. Because I think people would enjoy the prayer time more after I was done teaching about it from the word. Does that make sense to you? 
If I was teaching about praise and worship, I would probably set up the schedule of the service in such a way that we would have some time at the end to praise and worship. Because I figured if I'm going to teach on that, then I ought to allow some opportunity to practice this. I'm not coming with any big appeal. I'm not having anything. We're just going to receive the regular, uh, the Lord's tithe and offerings, but we do it at the end of the service. And then that's not going to really be the end because then I'm going to have like a little overtime session and we're going to just enjoy Jesus. So I'm not motivated any differently. Hello? If I, if I was preaching a message, a salvation message, knowing that we would have many friends in the service that didn't know Jesus, if I had a message for that, I'd probably share that message first and then invite people to come to Jesus. You say, well, I've been in services where you sometimes invite people right in the beginning. Yes, because I'm not going to teach anything that would appeal to uh, someone who isn't saved. So I thought before they get bored with what I have to say, let's get them saved first and then they'll enjoy the rest of the teaching. Is it all right? So I, I'm just, I'm just motivated the same way. And, and so uh, what is the purpose of prosperity? It says like this in Deuteronomy 8, 18, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant. Now, again, it, 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 it misquoted verses. People think, well, God gives you money. No, God doesn't have any money to give you. He's not printing dollars or stocks and bonds or anything else, but he does give the power to get wealth. And here it tells us, this is very shocking. I'll give you a New Testament verse in a moment. It tells us the purpose for prosperity, that he may establish his covenant. Now that is very shocking. I better before I comment on that, let me give you a New Testament application. There are many of them, but let me read Ephesians 4, 28. Where it says, let him who steals, steal no longer. That's, that's good. Rather let him labor, let him work. So it's not, well, I'm quitting my job, just believing God is going to take care of me. No, let him work. Now, if you can't work, that's a different thing. Uh, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. So here, the Bible tells us what is the uh, purpose. It gives a purpose for having a job. And that purpose is to have something to give. I I can just, I feel the atmosphere just opening up here right now. (laughs) Because this is shocking. Can, Can I say this to you? Many born-again precious people don't think like that and, and really don't want to hear this even preached. Like, you know, a lot of families maybe do a budget. And when we sit down and do a budget, then we just look at it, you know, what does what my house cost? What does my food cost? My car payment, gasoline, uh, you know, we have different things. And then maybe at the end of the session... Someone might say, well, we, we need, to, we need, to, give to, we need to give to give to, to the Lord. What about, and sometimes they say, sort of a fight, that, well, should we tithe on the gross or on the net or, you know. So, it's, it, so, so can I just say this? Many people who, you know, say they love the Lord a lot, they would just look at it and say, well, I need this, I need that, and I need that. And then they say, well, let's tip a little bit to the Lord. Now, first of all, I believe in people wearing clothes. So I'm not against it. I believe in people having a house, an apartment, a place to live. As a matter of fact, I, can, I think I could say from the Bible, God wants you to wear clothes. 
Can I hear an amen to that? God wants you to have food. Now, now, you know, sometimes we can have too much food, but we won't go there today. Uh, God wants you to wear clothes, have food, and have a place to live. And, and God wants good things for you. Come on, you getting more amens, you know, just nudge them. God, God wants that. And I, I certainly want that. And I think you want that for yourself. But I'm saying here what the Bible tells us here, that the purpose of work and having a job. And, and, and you know, if we have time, sometime we look at what a steward is and we really see this clear is it is to be able to have something to give. Or as it said in the Deuteronomy, to establish God's covenant. And so I, I would say. Now, I don't know if you sit down and do a budget and say, well, the first thing we need to look at is how much should we give? What can we give? What's our goal for giving this year? Now, that would be rare for people to take that approach. But it would be scripturally right. Don't look at me like that now. Come on. It would be scripturally correct. and says, well, we're going to give. This is the least. This is an area sort of a gauge of uh, how much I believe what Jesus has done. So, you know, before we look at our house payment, before we look at clothes, before we look at food, let's, let's look at what about our commitment to Jesus and his gospel. Now, of course, I know the question that then arises is, well, if I did that, who's going to take care of me? Well, well, well if, if, I, if I did that, I mean, what... You want me to go naked up and down the street? Have nothing to wear? No. You see, uh, now now the Bible is quite clear. If you do that, you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Then all the things will be added. In other words, God says you do that. You take that approach. Then you step into a divine flow. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Praise God. Now, now, before those verses that I just quoted scare the living daylights out of you, because some of you look like, my goodness, I'm frightened. Does the Bible really say that? Let me remind you of who is the source, the one who gives this guarantee. I trust that will give some joy in your heart here. Let, let me read this verse. He will look at the source of, your, of our prosperity. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And let's read it out loud together. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Leave the verse there for a moment. I I think you notice uh, the the theme of this verse is all or everything. Uh, All grace abounding toward you. All sufficiency. So you're not going to be without. And an abundance for every good work. Now who's the one who claims to be able to do this? We're talking about the God... Who is so extravagant, so abundant, so opulent. Have you ever thought about how God does things? How many insects did he create? Most of us, if we created insects, we go for a dozen different types. There are millions. Uh, the uniqueness of everything, every snowflakes that, that, that comes, that falls down, if you would look at that under a microscope, would be unique and would be different from the other snowflake. Every thumbprint, every fingerprint, uh, every leaf, every blade of grass is unique. So we're talking about the God who says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We're talking about the God represented in Jesus. Look at that Jesus. There were 12 baskets left over. Surely most people have wouldn't think of having any leftovers. 
If we can just feed 5,000, that would be good. If we can feed 4,000, that would be good. Seven baskets left over. When Jesus multiplied uh, the wine, remember when he turned water into wine? He didn't multiply the wine, he turned water into wine. If you really look at it, if you take the measurement, it was 160 gallons of wine. You know, most bottles I think today are like three quarter of a liter, so that's about 800 bottles of wine. Sorry, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. In other words, Jesus wasn't barely gets by. Let's barely feed the 5,000. Let's tie them over so they can just make it home. No, there were 12 baskets left over. So when the Bible says God is able to make all grace abound to you, having all sufficiency in all things, abundance for every good work, we got to qualify it by looking at who are we talking about. Suddenly, Proverbs 3 makes sense. It talks about honor the Lord with the first fruit of your substance and your vats. I don't know if you have any vats, but they will overflow with plenty. So it's not just barely overflowing. Oh, I'm excited about preaching this right now because everybody's talking about recession. And, And history always shows us that God's people have seen great things done under so called recessions. I just heard someone say, I guess our neighbors to the south, God bless America, they, 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 they borrow $1 billion a day just to buy oil. And we're sure in debt as well. So we have nothing to talk about Canada, the U.S. And so there's all kinds of things going on. This is a good time to, to believe Jesus. This is a good time to put your eyes on Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on. I'm speaking. You know, I know people are different, different uh, uh, situations that you're experiencing in life. You're in experience, different situations, different uh, struggles come your way. But whoever you are, you could be a single parent. You could be a very wealthy person listening to me. You could be watching on television or streaming uh, a person who are in abject poverty or person in wealth. Whoever you are, God is our extravagant, abundant source. And it said here, God's purpose in prosperity is abundance for every good work. Can I just say it this way? You know, to have possessions, to own a lot of stuff and not be able to give for every good work is not really being prosperous. I want people to enjoy good things. I shared with a friend I had. He went to be with the Lord. He probably over the course of five years gave about $2 million into our missions project. I went and stayed at his house. He lived next door to Johnny Cash. I suppose his house was a million dollars. Nice home. But you know, some people get mad about that. Say, well, how can he live in such a nice house? Well, I thought about every year. Now he gave to other ministries and ours. He, he gave like two to $3 million away. I thought I'd take a whole church of people who'd give twice the value of their house every year. Bring it on. Are you with me? You know, I'm, I'm in a position, I'm not just teaching prosperity. I, I have to walk it and live it. And I, someday I'll talk about money, where money comes from. And you know, money in itself is neither good nor bad. I can just tell you the biggest giver in January 2008 to this ministry, and we just finished January, is one of those poker players you see on the late night poker. Came to a meeting I had, not in this country, in another country. I don't know who he is, don't know what he looks like, but praise God. I don't, some of you get all hot under the collar about that. Well, we turning that poker earnings into uh, winning uh, people for Jesus. So I, I, I am... 
I, you know, I can switch the channels. I see poker players. I'm going to stop and see if I can find what he looks like. <laughs> you know, and he's our biggest giver in January 2008. Praise God. Don't look at me with that look right now. I think that's the blessing of God. Are you praying for him? I'm not saying doing nothing. I'm trusting Jesus. I'm not trusting anything else. I'm just saying, never mind. Let's move on right now. Are you still there? Wave at me if you're still there. Now look at this here. Look at this. I go to the next verse. So then I know I'm just safe. Uh, look at what it says here. Second uh, Corinthians 9, 10. May he who supplies seed to the sower multiply the seed you have sown. And increase the fruit of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality. Now leave that verse up. You know what that verse says? At least three facts, three benefits. God gives money to the sower. To the giver, that is. The one who is sowing. Because sowing is a picture of giving here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Then it says God increases, multiplies the gift of the giver. The one who is a sower... And this is really describing the nature of a person. God increases and multiplies the seed that they've sown. And thirdly, it says, God causes harvest or an increase of the fruits of your righteousness. So there's an increase, not just financially, but in other areas. Why? Because all you're doing is working your covenant. Now, when you look at, because this really describes the prosperous person, the sower. It's giving a, a word, a descriptive word. Who is the person who's prospering? That person is a sower. I said, I believe that describes the nature of the person. Someone who has a, you know, they're transformed on the inside. And so they are sowers. That's what they are. And it really speaks about a person who deliberately participates. You know, this is, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 16 two, On the first day of the week. Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. Again, on the first day of the week. So again, the Bible talks about this a systematic thing. Now, when I thought about this and I thought of some of the examples in the Bible, I can see a real difference between the deliberate giver, sower, versus the impulsive one. Let's look at that for just a moment. Impulsive giving. Now, let me tell you something. If you get an impulse to give a million dollars, praise God, give it today. I'm all for every good impulse to generosity. So thank God that sometimes people get a good impulse. But, you know, sometimes people don't get a good impulse. They can almost stiffen up a little bit. But, uh, you know, in other words, (laughs) and so I'm just saying that feel free, don't feel condemned by what I'm saying. But sometimes Christians are impulsive givers. If a preacher is able to push the right emotional button, then boy, here comes a big gift. And then three months, nothing happens. Now we are grateful, but I'm not trying to push any emotional button. I don't know when I ever tried to do that. That would have been many years ago, but I certainly am not trying to do it today. So, but thank God if you, if if you say, well, this is it. I'm going to give my whole, everything I should have given the last year. Well, pour it on. But, but what the Bible really puts the emphasis on is what I call the deliberate giving. Everybody say deliberate. Now it's the same in every area. You could be like an impulsive person to pray. You know, you just all of a sudden everything, all hell broke loose and you prayed. That's good. But you know, talking with Jesus every day is better. 
Or you could, you could be like a person who never opens up your Bible, but all of a sudden, once every quarter, you know, <laughs> once every three months, oh my goodness, I did 10 chapters. That's good. That's good. Thank God you did that. But, but I'm just saying to you, the deliberate person, the person who is, who, who is who's saying, no, I just believe in Jesus so much. I don't need an impulse. I, I'm just going to allow his word to speak to me. I'm going to talk to Jesus every day. I'm going to worship him and thank him every day. I would say that's the better way. So, so what can we say about deliberate giving is on purpose. It takes more faith. One thing. It, it, it brings more money for the gospel. Because I promise you this, that the deliberate giver will always give more than the emotional giver. Now that one emotional gift may exceed the one deliberate gift, but the person who is committed and says, Jesus, I believe what you have done. I, I, I thank God for all that has been purchased for me. I thank God that, my, that what Jesus did on the cross is the basis for my prosperity. And because of that, I'm involved. I'm deliberately involved. That is more beneficial. Now, the Philippians were like that. They were deliberately involved. You know, if you look at the book of uh, the epistle to the Philippians, it's kind of interesting. The backdrop was that Paul had been in Philippi, but they had lost touch with Paul. And the Philippians chased him down. They sought out where is Paul, the apostle, you know, because he'd been a blessing in their life. And so they, 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 they sought him out and they sent a gift for him. And it says like this in, in Philippians 1. I thank my God for your fellowship, your sympathetic cooperation and contribution and partnership in advancing the good news from the first day you heard it until now. And so, so, so Paul is saying, I, I'm thankful that you've been involved from the first day. So they were not just, you know, in those days they didn't have emails or television. So there wasn't much chance for Paul to sort of push an emotional button, was there? It wasn't like he could get on the phone and say, can I just talk to you? Send me money right now. So he, it wasn't much of a chance of doing that. And so the Philippians, they were deliberately seeking out Paul. And you can see, I, I want to catch this scripture, which will be our major reading today. And then I want to talk about it. But catch this, what he says in Philippians chapter 4. How, how many are enjoying this so far? How many, how many are just warming up to the topic? Come on, give me a little, give me a little wave. All right, look at this here. God wants to see, 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 this is, I want every person in this church to enjoy God's prosperity, to enjoy abundance for every good work. Yes, your needs will be taken care of. This is not going to make you go to the poor house. No, God will see to it that you abound in every good work. Look at what God, what, what Paul says to the Philippians. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. That now at last, uh, let, let me read the whole thing, then, I, then I'll comment on it. Your care for me has flourished again. And I, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I've known how to be abased, how to be abound everywhere in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to be abound and to suffer needs. Paul has suffered some needs. He had suffered some distress. Well, one of the reasons why he had suffered distress wasn't God's will for him. It was a very simple, logical explanation. The Philippians had not been able to send or get involved in their partnership as they had before. Because time and again, from the beginning of the gospel, they had been involved. But now they had been some time. They lost track of Paul. So they, he wasn't receiving the gifts that he normally received. And so he suffered distress. You say, well, why didn't God just send, you know, uh, birds like he did with Elijah? 
dropping T-bone stakes on Paul's head. Well, we are in the new covenant and there's no record of God dropping uh, T-bone stakes on people's heads. God works through people. People that he has already provided everything for and that, that, that are working that covenant, working with it. Let us keep reading. Now you Philippians also know that in the beginning of the gospel, I departed from Macedonia. No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek that fruit may abound to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I'm full, having received the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable uh, sacrifice. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now notice, let me just highlight some of the wording here. At last. Everybody say, at last. In other words, finally, we connected on this thing. They've been trying to give. They've been deliberate. They've been seeking for Paul. At last, it's happening. They are, they are reconnecting in their partnership. He says it's flourished again. Now it's flourishing again. It was flourishing. Then it wasn't flourishing. Now it's flourishing again. And he says, I'm content. He says, I'm not worried. I can abound. I can be abased. That's not, that's not the story. It's not about Paul. It's not about the man of God. It's about the gospel. He says, you know, in the beginning of the gospel, uh, this is how we got this job done. He says that no one was participating in giving and receiving. Notice that phrase. Wasn't just giving. It was giving and receiving. Everybody say giving and receiving. It's like a rhythm. It's a flow. Then it says that that fruit may abound to your account. This was not a phony statement. Paul is not a phony. He's not saying, well, you know, I don't believe God's going to bless you. See, you know, you know, this is, this is, you're sowing into your future. No, he's not, he's not saying this as a phony. He's not saying, well, you know, your account is going to abound. No, he's saying this. He believed what John wrote that I wish above all that you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. He's not throwing this in as a little teaser or a bait to the Philippians and say, come on, cough up some money here. No, he's saying this. This is true. This is reality. And I can tell you, I'm saying it for the same reason. And then he gives it, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Well, you know, I mean, every verse is good, but this verse is really in the context of people who are deliberately committed to the gospel. This is in context of from the first day you heard it until now. We had an interruption. Things had flourished. Now they're flourishing again. He's saying now, you know, you've tapped into something here. You, you hooked uh, into something. And you know, that's the way it is. We are deliberately involved in the greatest cause there is. We're deliberately, not based on an emotional urge. We feel one week and then not the next week. For example, this year. I was just uh, going through history. It's been tw- for 29 years in our missions area. We've been going to Africa for 29 years. We've seen millions of people receive Jesus. I was trying this week to contact the gentleman who Kofi Annan, the former UN general secretary, appointed to, uh, was one of the person involved in the negotiations in Kenya. Because it's a person I know. He was the former vice president of Kenya. You know, we, we have, we have long-term involvement. Now we are going at branching into reaching children. We, we, we're not just having an impulse. Let's do something. No, for 28 years, I've been going to Africa, to, to, to Asia. It was for 1980, 27 and a half years. We've been systematically sowing. 
We've been systematically in this church doing outreach to our community, systematically. Kids Connection, various outreaches. And, you know, you are a part of all of this. But it's not just something emotional. Well, let's, let, no, no. It's a commitment. It is a deliberate presentation of the gospel. Everybody say deliberate. You know, there's a great power in being deliberate. Think about, think about the two women. You know, God loves women. Two women in the Old Testament that were really blessed. You know, the first one, she's the one that we call the Syrophoenician woman. And she had just enough uh, flour to make one pancake when the prophet came. Elijah came and he said, get me some water. And she went to get the water. She could have said, well, why is he asking me for water for? Can he get his own water? What kind of guy is that? You know, she could have, you know, been a little bit, she could have a little bit, a little offended there. But then she's going to get the water and the prophet says, wait a moment. Get me some food too. Now, even the fact that she even listened to that, knowing that she only had enough for to make a pancake for her and her son, it tells you something about that woman. She was deliberately making herself available. She was deliberately willing to be challenged. And so she stops. And she doesn't argue and says, well, you know, do you know, well, you know we're in a really bad situation. She gets that pancake. Or she gets that piece of bread. And then, of course, for three years... She goes to that barrel deliberately for three years. She believes God every day and she has a meal in abundance. You know, Elisha, sort of a recurrence of the same thing. Elisha, there's another woman there and she had, because this first woman had a son and he, he died and then he's raised from the dead. And so it's kind of a lot of blessings in her life. But then Elisha has a similar situation, another woman, and she builds a, an apartment her and her husband, onto her house. How many know that's deliberate? That's not, well, let me help you a little bit on the way. No, anytime you come back here, we are deliberately involved in this operation. And of course, then her son dies. And when he dies, he is raised back to life. And so great examples of people who were involved deliberately. Praise God. Now emotional, one-time things are great, but deliberately being involved systematically being involved. And you know, there's a great blessing in this. There's a story told in, in first, uh, Samuel, uh, David was fighting the Amalekites and there were 600 men with him. And the battle goes, you know, for quite a few verses is described there. And then they finally go and they see this great victory. Now in that battle, there were 200 of the men who did not go to the front line. They didn't go you know, they stopped by this brook and they were resting, but they were sending supplies to the front line. So when David won the battle, he was in exile at the time in a place called Ziglag. When they won the battle, then the people who went to the front line, they felt, well, you know, we should share the spoils and the reward and the harvest of this. It's ours. We, we don't want to share it with the people who didn't go to the front line, but even though they sent supplies. And so how, how many see the story? Then, so David then makes a statute and an ordinance. And he says, final verse today, 1 Samuel 30. It says, as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward, he made it a statute and an ordinance. So what is David saying? He's saying the, 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 the sender and the goer will share equally. 
Now, I have that mindset. I've had it for many years, and I've taught it from time to time, maybe in the church. I've written books about that, but maybe you haven't read my book, so let me just say it to the whole church. I have a stake in everything that goes on through this church. I don't go to the Kids Connection rally, but I'm a part of that. Because when we had the Kids Connection challenge, I put some of Roxanne's and my money into the Kids Connection. So whoever gets saved, whoever hears about Jesus, I have a part of that. Don't you Kids Connection workers come and say, that's all our reward. You know, I have part of it too. (laughs) You can't have it all. When we have basketball for life outreach. Yeah, I I responded to that. I put some of my money into that. So don't you think that because you're out there sweating and throwing the basketball that you get all the reward? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Uh, you know, when, 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 when Jenny and all the crew is working here under the stage with all the telephones answering calls there, uh, they may think they're going to get the whole reward for that. But uh, I, I, we've helped. We've been a part. Many of you, we've helped. So, so I have a stake in that. I, you say, well, you're the one preaching on television. Well, even if I wasn't, I, I have a stake in that. Because this is a principle that the sender and the goer shares equally in these things. So when there's a youth service here on a Wednesday night, sometimes our young people have a special outreach and they see a lot of kids get saved. And, you know, and I know that all the youth workers are involved and Pastor Randy's involved with them and others are involved and there's great things going on. But you know what? You don't get the whole reward. No. You and you and you and you and you and you and you. We all have a stake in that. I don't, I don't go to the youth service. I, it's rare. Once every three years I show up. <laughs> but, but that doesn't matter. I, I'm involved in that. I'm involved in, in, in financial stewardship. So I'm involved in all of that. Are you all right with this? this uh, you know, when our missionaries are around the world, what we do in this church is, I'm not saying this is some magic formula, but for example, out of the regular income of the church, we immediately give 10% to missions. And, and the primary use of that is some of it goes to events that we do, but a lot of it goes to help our missionaries. We have about 50 missionaries in different parts of the world. Uh, a lot of them are in Africa. A lot of them that we have no per- in person are, are in Indonesia, for example. And they're seeing people saved. Sometimes they get reports. They went to some prostitution village and 200 prostitutes got saved and all the pimps are mad and, and you know, this kind of thing going on. Well, uh, they can't have that reward for themselves. I, I have a part of it. You have a part of it because the ones who send and the ones who go share equally. Now, I've, I believe that for years. And so then that's why, you know, uh, you, you probably notice I'm quite bold to ask for money because I actually believe this stuff. I'm not saying this to make you feel good that you have a share in this. Or the, no, it's the truth. It's nothing about feeling good or feeling bad or feeling anything. It is the truth of God's word that the goer and the sender share equally. I have never thought, because I discovered this verse before I met you, and that's a lot of years ago, Libby. That's a lot of years ago. You know, I have never felt, oh my goodness, even when we preach in the largest meetings in different parts of the world, you know, with hundreds of thousands of people, I mean, up to 150,000 people in one service responding for salvation. How many know that's a great service? I never for a moment thought, oh, this is my great ministry. I'm going to go into heaven. Look at the stars I'm going to have. I'm going to be sparkling like Liberace when I get up there. I'm going to be just like, you know, full of rhinestone, saying I'm a rhinestone cowboy. No, I never ever thought like that. Never. Because I discovered this. I understand there are other people 
that God, you know, used in a different way. And they could be working somewhere. It could be a person on a pension. Could be a person like Brother Howard, you know, your, your father-in-law went to be to be with Jesus a year ago or so, Debbie. You know, he, he, he was retired and then he felt like, because I'm retired, I really can't give as much to, uh, to, to the church and to the work of the gospel. He was a great giver into our ministry. And so he took a job for 10 years, worked pretty well till the day he died. So he had more money. Well, don't you think, you, 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 you know, he, he's, he has a big stake. People who think like that have a big stake in the operation. And so it's not something you say to be nice to people, make people feel good. It is the truth. That fruit may abound to your account. It's nothing, there's, no, there's nothing nice in the sense of trying to you say something sweet and encouraging. It is the truth of God's word. Now, now, some people maybe have a hard time to see that. But once you see it, I tell you, you tap into something. Once we begin to see that is what God, this is the purpose for money. Yes, I, I can go to Starbucks with Tim Hortons. I can enjoy life. I can eat and I can buy some clothes and I can go on vacation and I can go on a cruise and all the things we do. It, it's great. But, you know, first of all, I'm going to look at what can I do? For the gospel. How can I be involved? Because I'm a partner with God. Now it's the least. You know. It's probably been a year and a half since I gave any sermon on. Never preached like I'm preaching it right now exactly. But on prosperity and giving. I'm I'm talking about that. Uh, You know this is God's word. Yeah I'm not saying it's as valuable as, as your health or your family salvation. But it is the least. And it is a gauge. We get involved. So praise God. Hallelujah. 